Have you been zombified by Shabam? So I actually have been like recently bitten by Shabam. I hadn't really known about Shabam. Uh, and then I started listening and it's so, it's so good. Like it's it an awesome podcast. It's funny and it's interesting. And it's like, they do a lot of really, it's really visual. Um, so should we tell people yeah. what Shabam is? It's amazing for a podcast, right? Like it just it evokes all of these like, you know, it's, it's it's about telling stories as a way of really communicating. So, so yeah, I love it. And um, in case you're wondering right now, what you're listening to is not the Shabam podcast. It's the Zombified <laughs> podcast. So welcome all of you to the Zombified podcast. We are your source for Fresh Brains. And today the Fresh Brains are from another podcast that we absolutely love. Um, I am your host, Athena Actippus, a psychology professor at ASU and chair of the Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Alliance. And I am your co-host, Dave Lundberg-Henrik, media outreach program manager at Arizona State University and brain enthusiast. Yes, we are crazy about brains. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, brains in this episode are, are awesome. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I really think like this episode just from thinking about how to put a podcast together, just the voices, like they do little voices. So so basically what they do, you want to explain sort of the premise of Shabam? Yeah, yeah. so the whole idea for Shabam podcast is um, it's essentially like science education, but put in the frame of a story of the zombie apocalypse that kids are trying to get through. So there's lots of levels of zombies and zombification in this episode. So we talk about both, you know, how to kind of make a podcast like that, why to make a podcast like that. Um, you know, what are some of these sort of challenges that we have as humans in terms of like understanding information and engaging with it? And, you know, and when do like stories that are not true get <laughs> spread all over the place. So we talk about lots of different things. And um, Wendy and Josh are just super insightful about science communication as a process and how to make it really fun. Yeah, because even when I think about the idea of sort of being zombified by science communication, it's like you can be zombified like you're sucked in, but you can also sort of be zombified by where you're like zoning out, you know? And they do a really good job of sucking you in but not making it zoned out. And it's, it's, you were like, you were saying it's sort of for kids, right? But not really. Like, yeah. I mean, I didn't realize that it was geared towards 11 year olds when I was binge listening. <laughs> I was just like, this is so great. I love this podcast. So, um, I, you know, I think it, it's definitely fun for the whole family, unless you have people in your family who are afraid of zombies, then. <laughs> <laughs> or afraid of science. That could be that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, we were talking with um Rendi, Wendy Rodeweiss and Josh Kurtz, who put together the Shabam podcast. And um Josh also does some of the voice acting. Um so <laughs> you know he can kind of speak to like all these different dimensions of the podcast. And uh I I just found it a really fun episode and um i i love talking to wendy and josh and i love listening to shabam yeah yeah i know they're really insightful so um, yeah yeah so i actually have a couple little clips um from an episode just to kind of whet your appetite like if you haven't listened to 
Shabam, um, should I play those? I think that'd be awesome because yeah, I think it'd be great to get a sense of what it really sounds like. So what are what are these clips? Let's Okay, so the first one is about um the adaptive immune system. So here's the way that Shabam explains what the adaptive immune system is. Cool. You are now at level three. Then there's level three, and they're like the SWAT team of the immune system. We don't come out for just nothing. It's called the adaptive immune system. And level three really only gets activated when there's a really big problem, like breathing in a disgusting virus. Ah, come on, Scott. Let's go, boys. We got a job to do. Or eating a big chunk of bacteria from a sandwich. So when these pathogens come in and they overwhelm level two, that's when level three kicks in. Don't worry, boys, we got you back. And these are the highly specialized groups of cells, much like the SWAT team, that take out specific threats. Tagging team. One group of level three cells is on the tagging team, and they identify the bad guys and tag them. Yep, that's a bad guy, that's a bad guy, you're a good guy. Bad guy, bad, bad, good, bad, oh, ugly. Disposal team. Another group of cells on the disposal team can now go around and know who to eat. He's tagged, get him. He's tagged, get him. Good, get those guys. All this takes time, and while the body is figuring out who to target, the pathogen is multiplying. So to help this adaptive immune system, your body will actually raise its temperature. That's a fever. It does this because pathogens have a hard time multiplying when the temperature is higher. Is anybody else hot? So once your body fights off a particular disease, another set of cells memory team. on the memory team keep a record of that pathogen. Okay, that one was a doozy. Let's remember that one. So the next time it comes into your body, there's no wasted time and the threat gets eliminated before you have a chance to get sick. <laughs> it's it's really good. Like it's the voices are really great. Oh, yeah. so uh, I, I like how they call out the different teams. You know, that's sort of where it's like. It really is like you can sort of see them, which is great when you're driving, you know? Yeah. um, Yeah. And, you know, just listening to that little clip, it makes me think like when we're teaching immunology or not me, but like when people are teaching (laughs) immunology, why don't we like use language that just makes it easier to understand what's happening in terms of, you know, the process that's going on, because it seems like that would make it easier for people to wrap their heads around the complexity of immunology. Yeah, um, because it's not a thing that I necessarily knew much about. And so, but this does, it's like, you can sort of see it where it's like, all right, these are the different teams and it's, yeah. yeah it's and the division cool. of labor makes sense. So yep. yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's one clip. I've got another one too. Um, this one is about vaccines and it um, uses sort of the same kind of characters that we met in the first clip. So should I play that one? Yeah, definitely. Let's hear it. All right, here we go. Another day, another pathogen. Yep, we did it. You know, I feel like the whole level three department would work a lot more efficiently if we already knew who the bad guy Yeah, that's what we do. We're on a memory team. We remember that, yeah. No, no, we're always one attack behind. Oh. We get attacked and then we remember. I guess so. If we could get a list of the bad guys beforehand, we wouldn't have to wait until we got attacked oh. to know who's bad and who's good. I don't think that list exists. Yeah, I know it doesn't exist. I say it would be great if it did no, exist. what we need is like a dummy bad guy that we can practice on so the first attack 
air quotes, is more like a scrimmage. And we'd remember how to fight them when the real bad guys show up. That's dumb. Who's gonna do that? Oh, that's dumb? No, he's talking dumb. about getting loose. I love that. <laughs> the guy's just arguing, you know, and like, your idea is stupid, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it is a good, because vaccines, you know, these are, it's a, it seems really mysterious a lot of times. Like, and this makes it really clear, which I think is great. So. Yeah. And we kind of need that now, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. And it's funny. It's just so funny. So. Yeah. It's really good. So. All right. Well. Are you ready for us to jump in to the episode? Let's do it. All right. Let's hear from this week's Fresh Brains, Wendy Roderweiss and Josh Kurtz. I know it's crazy, but it seems so logical. Try to fight it, but it's something psychological with you. Makes me act the way I do. I'm not trying to be over-analytical Retracing time to remind myself how ugly this could be But something else is taking over me Hey. 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 Josh and Wendy, welcome to Zombified. It is so great to have you guys on the show. Awesome. Thank you. So, um, first of all, I just... Uh, I know you guys, but I'd love if you introduce yourself in your own words for the rest of the folks who are joining us today. So, um, Wendy, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, so my name is Wendy Roderweiss, and I am a Chicagoan. Uh, I am a filmmaker and podcaster, and I also teach at DePaul University and teach film. Awesome. Josh. Uh, and my name is Josh Kurz, and uh, I am a sound designer here in L.A., and we, I work on a podcast with Wendy called Shabam, and I'm assuming that's what you're, we're going to be talking about is yeah. uh, how that fits into. Well, so would you getting tell us? zombified? <laughs> so what what is Shabam other than my favorite podcast? Other than oh. my own podcast, which I have to <laughs> say is just my favorite because I get to do whatever I want, including interviewing people like you. So anyway, so what is, what is Shabam? Well, thanks for that. Uh, no, that's awesome. Um, uh, so Shabam is a, is a science podcast for, uh, like for the family. Um, and what we do is we take a fictional narrative and then we use that to jump off and talk about real science. So in season one, we had this zombie apocalypse that happens and, we use that to talk about all different kinds of science that that's related to that. Uh, yeah. So I have to say that um, I didn't actually realize that the target audience for your show was 11 year olds until <laughs> long after I decided it was my favorite podcast ever. <laughs> so <laughs> it just tells that's you a little awesome. bit about the level that I'm working at here. So <laughs> no, that's great. Cause it, we're, it's, it's meant to be for everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I just love how you guys, well, maybe you can say a little bit more about like the, so you sort of set up this whole world, this imaginary world, right? Where the zombie apocalypse is happening. And then you, you teach about, about infrastructure. <laughs> you use it to like yeah. teach about. So we're basically being sneaky because infrastructure is just super boring so we were like how can we talk about all these amazing things that we take for granted around us but in a way that will be interesting for people 
And that's really where we kind of came upon zombies uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, I think, as we all know, zombies are super, super popular in so many different forms of media. And we just looked at, okay, hey, if something really catastrophic happened, like a zombie apocalypse, and all of our systems were taken out, what would that mean for the people who rely on them? And so we created this fictional family, and um, the story really focuses on that family and these kids who get separated from their parents, um, two brothers and their good friend Nadine. And the goal is to see how can they survive as we slowly take away all of these systems. So we would take away water and electricity and communication and food and we look at what they do in those situations to work around them to problem solve and to survive. And then ultimately, they make the decision that they have to try and get to a safe zone. So they're really trying to reunite with their parents if they can without any of that infrastructure in place. Yeah. Well, on, on one hand, it sounds like really cruel. You're like, okay, we're going to take children and put them in the middle of the zombie apocalypse fictional without children. any parents. <laughs> <The> fictional children. <laughs> Yeah, we we um we have a lot of fun with that. I mean, we're like, wow, this is this can get a little dark sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we try and keep it light. There's still plenty of poop jokes. Um, <laughs> and there's, you know, there we even let the characters complain about it. So we we sometimes break the fourth wall and talk to the characters and sometimes the characters hear us. So with this fictional narrative, we also have the non-fiction elements which is it works in tandem. It's us as the hosts, me, Josh, and Mel Herbert, who's our other host, and we kind of provide the the narration and the context for the show. But we do that through interviewing experts who talk about a variety of different topics. Sometimes zombie related, like we have a neuroscientist who talks about whether zombies could actually exist, looking at how the human body works and the human brain works. And then we have people that are talking about uh, Polynesian navigation who are training to be uh, navigators that are apprentices. So, you know, we kind of jump around through history, through time, through um, through different topics in science and popular culture and um, other areas to, to look at the different world around us and how it might relate to this idea of whatever infrastructure element we're talking about that week. Yeah, so you guys are kind of using this whole narrative of the zombie apocalypse to sort of zombify kids, people, grown-ups who think that it's a podcast for grown-ups. Um, <laughs> oh, so it's totally that. So you yeah, you <laughs> yeah. you want to um you want to um infect people with the interest in knowledge about science because you know usually in movies like a science fiction movie you have uh there's a there's the narrative is the is the main character right and the science is kind of like it's stuck in there right so you like you'll watch inception and you get to see like a really hyper accurate rendering of a black hole i mean like you know they don't make a big deal out of it it just is they did they but they actually did the physics the calculations to figure out what it would look like and we kind of do the opposite where it's like we're using the fictional narrative as kind of the the thread and then we talk about all this this cool this stuff that we think is cool because uh and the other thing that we try to do with, with with the show is make these connections between things because there are a lot of things that are related that we didn't you necessarily think are related right like uh you know polynesian navigation and uh you know uh 
that's not a good one. I try, I try, I try a better one. Well, because if I if I do that connection, then it's like a connecting it to the next season, um, oh, right. which is giving it away. And uh, so I don't want to do that. But yeah. I'm trying to think of like what's another good connection. But just here we go. What? Yeah, here's another good connection. Um, so one of the ones that's one of our favorites is we talk about digital communication and yeah. the idea of. Uh, like the basic, the basis of a digital communication is either like a one or a zero, right? So is it, is it there or is it not? And so we talk about that and the idea of compression and data and information. And in that same episode, we tell the real story of Paul Revere, which is not a guy who's riding around on a horse yelling, the British are coming. And we look at how the actual communication system that was set up by the colonists was was a digital communication system before digital technology existed. So they had this system that was able to let the other neighboring areas know that they were in danger by there being a sound or not being a sound. So, you know, we kind of go into the we, we, we dive into that with the idea of like, you know, how can we look at something modern and overlay it over something in the past? And the idea behind this is something one of our, our producers, Cece, said, which I thought was so great, is that one of the things that Shabam's trying to do is make the past not seem so far away. So we're always trying right. to kind of contemporize things in different eras to something now to make these connections and show that it's all part of this grand experiment of exploration and discovery. That's awesome. Because because one of the things when you hear about history, a lot of times you're like, you know, when you hear about Paul Revere's ride, like, you know, he actually did ride, right? But like you think, oh, he rode and he woke people up and, and that's and that's the way he did it. But there's there's so many things that, you know, it's not just a story. Like when you go back in time, he had to actually, you know, they're humans, they're thinking about stuff. They're, they're they have... They're still good problem solvers like we are today, right? It's not, it hasn't, that hasn't changed. So, like, just making it seem more real, like, there are, there are real things that, that people of the past were thinking about, you know? Yeah. So, sort of taking things from this very abstract space that we can often get stuck in in science and just making them really concrete, either with stories or the actual examples of how the things worked in the physical world. Yes. And, and I think what you just brought up, the getting stuck in your head, like that's that's kind of, and maybe this goes back to the whole zombified thing. It's like there, I think there are these certain ways of describing concepts and and telling st- stories about what happened in the past that get stuck in a, in a certain way. And, mm-hmm. and that's just the way they get described. And after a while, the meaning kind of gets lost or you like, you know, you, it, you're not really thinking about it. It's like, oh yeah, it's that story. And we try to break it up a little bit and rejigger it so that the concepts you're, you're seeing the concepts again. You're not just seeing the, the undead version, the undead version, <laughs> right? That's <laughs> it's stuck in your head. That's great. Yeah. And I, I think that the other, you know, even though the, the sort of topic, if there's, sorry, there's horrible sirens behind me. I am in the loudest place possible. Um, <laughs> the, the, that there's the other sort of idea that we're going for is, that it's it's that this infrastructure is kind of what we're talking about, but we're also trying to introduce some basic concepts of science and science uh, thinking. So the idea of critical thinking skills and 
giving kids and adults uh, the the tools to decide what's true and what's not. So it's it's about problem solving. It's about questioning. It's about being a skeptic. So always constantly saying, is that true? Why should I believe that? So that's also kind of a theme that starts in the first episode that we weave throughout the season. And then ultimately the final episode is kind of turning the, the, the show on itself to say, you know, how can we use some objective tools to, to look at what is true? Mm-hmm. And um, and that that's something that we're really trying to get at. I mean, I think you know we've talked about this before, but it's just so important these days where like the truth is getting turned around in so many different ways, and you don't really know what to believe, and you don't know how to even come to a conclusion. But if we can use scientific reasoning, if we can use these tools of analyzing the information, analyzing the source, uh, and really just kind of looking at you know what's most probably true. It gives us somewhere to to go. It gives us the ability to to make a decision. Yeah. Well, that's such a huge issue with just decision making in general, right? In order to make a good decision, you have to have good information and you have to know how to evaluate it. And there are a lot of challenges to that now in the way that we get information and um you know, there, there is kind of a, a, a bit of a breakdown of, um, you know, thinking about how, um, how to reason and even the whole idea that there is an objective reality out there. Like, I feel like we're all of a sudden having a conversation about whether that exists, which is kind of bizarre to me as a scientist because I don't, I don't interact with that world very much. But uh, Well, I find, that, I find yeah. that a strange argument too, right? Like, I, I don't, I mean... Clearly, there is an, I, I don't know, there, it's just, there is an objective truth, right? Like, even if stuff that happened in the past, even if the amount of information we have does not give us a clear indication of what exactly happened, something did happen. Like, it still happened. <laughs> yeah. Even if we don't know, even if we'll never know, it's still, there is an objective thing that happened. So I don't know why we're, yeah, yeah. why we're talking about, or why there's this discussion of yeah. objective truth. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like you guys are fighting the good fight, like trying to actually give some tools to kids without them even realizing that they're learning about, you know, Bayesian priors and stuff, right? Because that's what the episode well, is that, about. And, and it's funny <laughs> that you mentioned that, right? Because first of all, yes, we're the, we were trying to get some Bayesian stuff in there without talking about Bayesian thinking at all and not using any of the formulas because that's just like, that's beyond yeah. middle schooler comprehension or I think it'd just be boring after a while. Yeah. But... Uh, just the idea that instead of thinking about things as not true and true, you think of things as probably true and not probably, tr- you know, probably not true, and then you adjust your probability based on new information is a lot easier to work with as a human going through the world. And then the second thing I was thinking about, like, doing the show has also helped me. Like, I'm still, you know, I'm not like, I still have biases. I know I do. And you, we have to, we all have to fight against them. So it's not like, we're presenting this as, oh, well, no, we know. We, we're we still doing it. We still have to practice it all the time. It, it, right. it's, it, you can still fall into your own, we call them brain traps. Like, you can still fall into your own brain trap even though you tell people about them. Yeah. So, it, you know, we're we're just as, you know, we're we're still there, you know. Right. Yeah. And then it all circles back to the, the zombification issue, right? Because, like, if 
you know, if you can get in a brain trap and if someone benefits from you being in that brain trap, then if they can nudge you a little bit towards that brain trap, then, you know, maybe they're zombifying you for for their own end. So yeah. I think uh, it's it's really important to have that awareness of what are the kinds of biases that we have and how can we combat them so that we aren't as manipulable. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's, that's, we see that all the time, right? We see people trying to influence other people into thinking something because they're either given wrong information or not all of the information. And if you have these tools to evaluate that information, you can fight against the zombification of yourself or others if you know these things. So absolutely. Right. And and this is sort of a little bit of a stretch, but I was thinking about it um, in terms of, too, like this idea of focusing on infrastructure. And, you know, one of the things that we just kind of kept coming back to over and over and we sort of make fun of ourselves for it is this idea of <laughs> something we totally take for granted, right? Like we even like, we say it like almost every episode. And I think that that's like another sort of zombification where we yes. just, we turn on the tap and the water comes out yeah. and like, we just, we don't think about it. And like we plug something in and it works and we pick up a device and we can talk to someone. So we, we just get into these like patterns of there's just no agency or there's no, there's just, there we're just, just stuck in these modes. And then as soon as like, I mean, everybody's had this where like you've got a blackout in the neighborhood cause there's a storm and for like an hour, you just keep walking in the room and turning the light switch on going, oh, I forgot. Like we just, we, it's become such a, like just a, a given that we have these things that we become slaves to them. We don't, we don't try to live or work without them. And so when we don't have those there, it, it, it kind of, you know, makes us shake out of this sort of zombified mode that we're in. So you're almost saying that there's a way in which we can be zombified by the infrastructure that's actually in place to support us, right? This, uh, that we, you know, do, we we really benefit from that being there, but mm-hmm. it does get us into these modes of behavior where we're being a little fixed and not trying other things. It also doesn't yeah. even need, it doesn't even need to be that sinister either, right? Like just right. in terms of taking it, you know, appreciating it, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. when the water goes out, how, you don't realize how many times you just use water all the time at home just to wash your hands off or like yeah. drink something like like it, you're just constantly there's this there's this need just go to the bathroom a little bit of water and then you're done yeah. and if you don't have any water it makes things way harder but just I, I yeah I feel like maybe another zombification is is you can get you can all these things that that exist that are that are really cool that are helping you out making life a lot easier you can kind of forget that they are there and you know mm-hmm. you feel worse about things than you really should maybe cuz it's you know yeah. we live in a pretty we do we live in it's a kind good society yeah I we mean, can get water we can go to the store and get fresh fruits and vegetables and meat and i mean things that are ancestors would have had to forage really far and hunt really long in order to get and we can just walk into a grocery store and buy them assuming of course that we're lucky enough to have a job where we have enough money to buy those things right which you can't necessarily assume but there are certainly a lot of modern conveniences that we have that are wonderful but that's another thing right 
but sorry, you were going to say something. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, like, like, you know, we have, like, mass transportation systems so we can go places and we have communication systems where we can call somebody on the other side of the planet in a second and talk to them. I mean, like, these are all things that just, it, it's it's pretty amazing that we have these things and that they're there. And I think Josh's point about, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be sinister. I think that was one of the things we wanted to look at, too, is just, like, how great is it that we have clean water that comes out of our tap that we can drink without getting sick? Yeah. Like, you know, like that, that's something that we just don't think about in this country. And when you go to other countries where they don't have that, or strangely enough, you go to European countries where they have amazing water, but won't drink it out of the tap for some explicable reason, Mm -hmm. inexplicable reason. Um, So, you know, but that we have this, like, we, we live in this world in you know parts of this world where we have these incredibly wonderful things that we never think about we never question we just we just right. go along and they're there and but then know, that we raises the question which i'm sure you guys have thought a lot about given that you did a whole season of shabam about the zombie apocalypse which is in the zombie apocalypse, when the infrastructure goes down, you know, how does our sort of default dependence on that um, actually become a, you know, a, a vulnerability like that, you know? Well, that, yeah, that's the thing. Like, you don't, ha- you know, without delving into it, it was like, well, how do you clean your water? You can't just drink water if you find it somewhere. How do you clean your water? How do you look for food? How do you stay warm? Like, these are all things you don't think about because you're like, well, if I stay warm, just put on a jacket or I go inside. It's yeah. Like, no, not not if you don't have an inside to go into and not if you don't have a lot of clothes. And, you know, there's just uh, like the one episode where we talked to the this uh, survivalist is he he and he was going through like the steps of like what what you try to you know when you're outside in the wilderness what what are the things that are the most important yeah so like, what are they what are the most important so it's uh, shelter water fire food and shelter is first because you got to stop yourself from either losing heat or uh you know um, overheating because that's when you basically either you use energy and you lose water or you are basically uh, you're too hot and you're losing water the other way so you you basically you don't want to lose water because you cannot survive very long with water at all without water at all, right? So that's the that's the so first you got to thermoregulate and shelter is the best right. way to start doing that. And shelter can be like a jacket or okay. uh, you know a shade or something like that, right? Or a tent. And it's a way to to best manage the resources you have is by providing shelter. Okay. And then and then you look for water, right? Because that's the most important thing. Like your body needs water. You're water based, right? So mm-hmm. you you know you go look for that, and then you know. Then you can start looking for food, uh, uh, fire, like because that's the, that's how you can clean your water if you need to, and you can you know cook food if you need to, but you know and and stay warm. So okay. and then the last thing is food because you can go a long time without food. Yeah, that's kind of amazing given like just how little time it takes me of not eating for me to just be in a really bad mood. <laughs> right. But, like actually. Oh yeah. No, you're in a bad mood for days or. Two weeks? Is that how long is it? How long could you survive without food? I think the food was like two weeks or okay. something. Yeah, but like, weeks. no, this was this was assuming obviously that you're in a bad mood. Like, you're, <laughs> you're getting into it. But like, but the thing is, yeah. with with water, you're like really uncomfortable and like you know you're near death in like two to three days. So yeah, you know, right? It, it's kind of scary actually, just how vulnerable we are. I mean, we take 
for granted that all of these things are just around us that support our life, but it's kind of trivial to take those things away. It's scary. And then we didn't, and we didn't even talk about, you know, waste management. We didn't even talk about that at all. (laughs) How about some poop jokes? We have lots of poop jokes. Yeah, a lot of poop jokes. Well, because some of, the of them I shut down, it, but if, yeah. Because <laughs> one of the things, if if you look at a zombie, right? Like you know, we go through it biologically, and like the zombie, as is presented in a lot of movies, you know, they don't, they don't, they eat, but they don't, and they they must have a working digestive system, right? So then they're pooping, but they're not wiping, and they don't care, so they're probably covered in poo. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that never gets shown in the movies, but like they're probably covered in blood and poo. Yeah. Which smells really bad. Kind of like our cell phones, right? (laughs) Probably more than our cell phones. Because I can't can't find my cell phone by smelling, but I don't really want to know how much blood and poo is on my phone. All right. How do we get back from that one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, so yeah, so we're talking about infrastructure that we're all totally dependent on and we don't even realize. But then when you start taking it away, like what happened in a zombie apocalypse, then we're, we realize quickly just how dependent we are on that infrastructure and I guess bring it full circle. Like you're Josh, you're kind of saying, hey, Let's be a little bit appreciative of all this awesome stuff that we have because when the zombie apocalypse comes, you're not going to have it anymore, right? So. I feel like I'm constantly saying that. Look, <laughs> look at all this cool stuff that we don't appreciate. And then... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, I, and I think, too, like I, kind of going back to your question that you had about, like, you know, what do we do? Like, how do we react when the zombie apocalypse happens? That's where having the narrative element of the show is so great. So we can look at the kids and see what they do. And, you know, there's two teenagers and an 11-year-old. And they fight, you know. They fight, but then they work together and they cooperate and they help each other out when they need to. And so I think it can kind of show, like, the great parts of it as well. Like, it can show what people can do when they're challenged and how they problem solve. And and we're always in the writing of the narrative conscious of giving the kids something to solve so that they have, they're not just victims, right? They're not just these kids who get separated from their parents. It's like, Oh, like they got to do stuff. They got to take action. They have to make it possible to make it to the next day and the next week and, and get somewhere where they can get more help. And so that was a big part of it for us. Like, you know, who are these kids? What are their personalities? How do they interact? Josh and I both have a film background. So, you know, like these kinds of narrative stories are a huge part of what we love and do and what drew us to this idea. So I think that it just creates this great opportunity to look at, you know, what, how do people react in this situation? You know, this is one version of the story. There's lots of things that that people could do. But, you know, what do these three kids do when that stuff's taken away? How, How do they, how do they survive? Yeah, well, and it sounds like you guys really take this story, this narrative, as a way of engaging people really deeply. And I wanted to ask you just like a little bit more about that, because I think there's this really interesting and positive side, right, to using narrative and stories to engage people, um, which your podcast is a perfect example of but there can also be a dark side to that right to like using 
narrative and stories to um, engage people's emotion, to get them to take action. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, I mean, what do you guys think of that whole, like the power, that power of story story and narrative to engage people? Like, how do you stay on the right side of that and not, you know, go into the realm of like manipulating people against their own goals and best interests and stuff. <laughs> um, uh, so, like, what is that... What is the way... That, like, how could stories and narratives get used to manipulate people? Like, is that... Well, they're, they're, they're already doing that. Everybody, you know, you create a story about the politician that you don't like, and then... Or you create a story about... Um, you know, what the people are that disagree with you, what they're like, and that's a compelling story, and then you just recycle that, and then that becomes the that becomes the thing that you hate, and then it becomes easier and easier to hate because you're, you're not talking about actual people. You're talking about, you know, hmm. a, a... A fiction. A fictional, a fictional person. I mean, everybody has, like, fictional arguments with people in the shower, right? You're taking a shower, and you're like, oh, I would say this and this argument to this person... <laughs> Does that person really exist? Like, you're making that up, right? They're, you know, people are a lot more complex, obviously. Hmm. Um, but I, I think, especially nowadays, I think, I think you know, that you see a lot of stories getting created that are just meant to gin up people's antagonism toward another group of people. Hmm. I mean, and and also by, you know, foreign governments do that, right? I mean... You know, I mean, it's clear at this point that that Russia has, has uh, they have a a large part of the the FSB has a as a department that is that is uh, dedicated to sowing misinformation. Those are just stories that that uh, sound like they work, and they sow information on both sides, right? Like, you know, you you get the left riled up, and you get people on the right riled up, and then you know, at, at the end of it, you create a a, a a fake conflict between, and then two groups of people show up in Texas and they were all, they were both, both sides were ginned up by somebody in another country, somebody sitting in front of their computer. I mean, that's, that's the power of storytelling for a, you know, in a sinister way, you know, that's, that's, but I mean. We like stories, right? And so even if they're not. Well, I I think that's how we process stuff, right? But. Can you say a little more about that? What do you mean that's how we process stuff? Well, like, and, and so some of the things that we, you know, we have like science concepts that we want to explain, like how does the immune system work? And like, you know, uh, at the level that we're at, I think a lot of times stories can help, right? Because you, you can visualize what's going on, right? So if you're in the immune system, you know, you got, you got certain groups of cells that are, that are you know, tagging the, the, the bad guy invaders. And there's another group of cells that eats them up, and there's another group of cells that writes them down, like I remembers it for later. Now, this is a simplification of the immune system, obviously, but like if you, if, you know, in broad strokes, this is what's going on, right? You know, a, a, a bacteria comes in or a virus comes in, and then another cell goes around and goes, ah, hey, you're a bad guy. If and then that bad guy gets tagged, and then and you know we didn't get into antibodies and all that stuff, but like. Uh, essentially, then the other groups of cells, and they eat them, right? Like, they, they come around and they eat them. So I, I think it's easier to visualize, you know, cops are going around in your body looking for bad guys, and then they, they eat them up and destroy them when they, when they find them. That, that's something that you can remember, right? Right. And then you can get into vaccines, which are, you know, this is a way of 
giving your cops in the body uh, uh, a practice drill, right? Yeah. They're not going to actually take over your body because they're just they're just dummy viruses. But then the cops in your body are like, let's get them, and then they eat them up, and then to the next time when the actual viruses show up, they're like, already oh, we know these guys exactly. So if you talk about it like that, then you know I, I feel like you remember that better, right? Because it's a story. Right. So yeah, and then that whole narrative storytelling can get used to construct stories that might not even be true or if they are true and they're just getting sort of framed in a way that is to engage people but not in their best interest then then you have this whole power of like tapping into our brains in order to potentially manipulate and and exploit people right so yeah. Although yeah. what we try to do is we try to get the information we want to get in people's brains is is things that you know things that will help you figure out how things work. So like yeah. if you if you read an article later about vaccines, then you know we don't want to give you a a fake uh, story about how vaccinations work because right. then when you encounter a story or you read something about vaccination, that's not going to make any sense yeah. or like you're just going to have the wrong idea. But like. What we really want to do with the show is to create these, you know, stories in your mind that you can then remember when you read stuff about, you know, black holes or vaccines or the immune system or ants or whatever it is, right? So then you can kind of think, oh, yeah, that's that's what's going on. Like when, in your body with DNA, like your DNA is constantly replicating, replicating, replicating. Oh, if you then every time there's a story that has to do with DNA or mutation, you, you in the back of your mind, you're still thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, it's because it's always replicating. That's why there's possibility of getting a mutation when you get exposed to radiation, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, well, it sounds almost like you're saying that in order to kind of be vaccinated against, like, you know, made-up things that are there to manipulate you, you actually have to have stories that you can use to understand the world or, pro you know, stories so you understand the process of how you sort through information. Um, so, because it's hard, right? I mean, like, how do you go from, like, if you're a kid, yeah, you go to school and you get taught stuff and you're supposed to take your notes and take your tests, but, like, you know, how do you get the tools to sort out what is real and what's not real? And, I think that oftentimes in education, there's a focus on like, well, let's just give the facts and then the facts will immunize against the things that aren't true. But right. in a way, what you guys are doing is sort of saying, hey, actually, we need some stories and some narrative to to tie these things together to make them like more robust, to make them, you know, things that you're you can access in your brain when you need them to counteract the compelling stories that might otherwise be more likely to to take hold when you're presented with them yeah yeah no that's great i love that i mean and kind of you know just backing up to sort of more the basic ideas of story and why we love it i mean this is <clears throat> story has been around forever i mean it, it it's it's based on you know we can go back to aristotle and kind of carry that through uh in terms of how story works you have a beginning a middle and an end and as humans, we have cycles around us, and we, we're used to those cycles. So we have seasons where, well, not in California, but in Chicago, we have seasons, <laughs> um, you know, where you've got spring and things grow and they flourish in the summer and then they start to die off and then in the winter they go dormant and then they start over again. And so this idea of this cycle, we have, you know, the morning, the afternoon, the night, 
we're used to this as a human being, this idea of a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it's something that we we relate to. And when someone tells a story, we get engaged. And, you know, there there are good storytellers and bad storytellers. And the good storytellers know how to get enough information out to hook the audience, to, to have them ask the really important question of what's going to happen next. That's mm-hmm. what you're trying to do when you're telling a story is what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And if you can get your audience to to feel that, they're going to go with you. They're going to listen. And they're going to listen in a way that's that's active listening. It's not, here's a bunch of facts and memorize them. It's, okay, I've now pers- personified a virus and I know what it sounds like in the body. And those are those little guys. And and I know what the, the immune system cops sound like in a way that it creates this narrative for us that, that engages us and, and has us remember things because we can relate to them. Because storytelling is about not just beginnings, middles, and ends, but this relationship between hope and fear. We're always looking for things that we hope for in a character. We're, we're hoping that this character can overcome an obstacle and, and get their goal. And if there's nothing at stake, if there are no obstacles, we don't have any fear. So we need to have conflict so that we can have resolution. And this hope and fear dance that we do is what creates a good story. And it plays out for us in a way that feels satisfying and I don't know what it is about humans that makes us love stories so much. It just seems to be an accepted fact that going back to oral traditions and then to written stories, that we've always either had stories we've told or made up stories to explain science. I mean, you know, lightning is Zeus who's angry, right? So we've always had something to help us feel like we can get at the truth with whatever information that we have. And that's comforting to us as humans. We, we, we want stories. We want that resolution. It, it makes us feel happy. And, and I think on, you know, speaking to that, like what, what we're really trying to do in this or, or that we're trying to illustrate in, in our, in our series is that the stories don't always have to be about humans. Like the, the, they can, you can put, you know, the same structure that Wendy just talked about, you can put viruses, you can put, you know, inanimate objects, you can put, you know, electrons, protons, like it's all electricity. You can, you can just, just, if you create a story in a certain way that, that, uh, that is memorable because it's told as a story, but explains the concept or gets the, or implies a concept that is actually the way things work, that's a very powerful tool for science communication. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. And then just to go back to what we said before, like, don't take our word for it. Like, we're trying to give you stories that, that are true. But again, when, when like you were saying, if you're, if you're in the middle school and you're trying to figure out what's true, yeah, like, go out and... One of the things that we say at the last episode is one of the steps of figuring out whether something is true or not is to triangulate, right? So it's... Don't just take it from one source. So, like, when we tell you a story, we're, we've done research to try to figure out what's the best way of telling the story. But go out and, and find out for yourself, too. Like, like, you know, triangulate. Figure out there are other people that are saying the same thing. 
the you know that lends itself to that's that's probably what's going on you know yeah well you guys have a really interesting structure too with your podcast because everything is embedded in a fiction in a story that is you know everyone knows that it's fiction but then you have these little pieces where you're explaining the science and you're using storytelling techniques sort of within those and those are the you know true stories right that you're telling with you know all these tools of like you know personifying electrons and, and you know giving voice to all these entities that are like abstract things but that that helps to make them um i think maybe just easier to imagine and understand in our heads. It like allows them to jump into our brains in a way that otherwise it would be hard for them to get in. Yeah. Well, this also brings up like kind of this, this big argument that Wendy and I sometimes get into in film school about whether something should be scientifically (laughs) accurate or not. Right. Cause like, cause you can have a, cause my feeling is like, you don't have to explain science to, have science be accurate and to some get something out of it, right? Like, you know, if you were going to make a, a legal drama, but it all happened on a flat earth, like, I, I just don't think that would be really good. Like, I mean, that's <laughs> kind of a funny story, but, like, you can't have a serious legal drama. Mm-hmm. They just happen to be on a flat earth. Like, I, that's, that's, you don't do that. Nobody yeah. does that. They have it. It's on a round earth. They take a plane to Stockholm because Stockholm is on the other side of the, yeah. the planet, and no right. one, like, questions that. So... Why not stick in other things when there's like a a sci-fi movie or like, you know, a, a spy movie or whatever? Like you can you can put just as many you can put the real science in there without it impacting the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it could still be real. You could still have superheroes that have suspension of disbelief powers. But like <laughs> but everything else should be consistent and you can, you know, give people a better idea of what what is actually going on in the world rather than just making it up. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in terms of, you know, practical takeaway messages, I feel like there are probably, you know, people who listen to this podcast who, you know, are involved in science communication in one way or another, or they're parents and they have, you know, kids that they want to give, you know, tools or, you know, ways of helping them to understand the world better. So, are there some, you know, tips or tricks or pitfalls like for using stories to communicate science that that you would highlight or, or share with us that, that you have from your background and from working on this podcast for as long as you have? Well, you know, it's funny. I Even though Josh was, was talking about that idea of like things need to we want them to be based in realism when we watch movies and we kind of joke about it and I tease them about this idea of like, you know, it's a comic movie. There's not going to be real science in it. <laughs> um, sometimes you just got to let it go. But I, I, I think that one of the, one of the things that, um, that we, we do really find important is that if you're establishing yourself as a show that's trying to teach, especially teach kids about, real scientific concepts or the way the world works. Yeah. Or even, um, you know, for teachers, for example, like you're, you know, in front of a classroom every day of, I don't know, fourth or fifth graders, like how can you use stories in order to communicate science better? And, you know, what, what advice do you have for just people in general for who want to help 
give people tools to understand and, um, and, and work with science? That's a great question. So I, I think I want to start with a pitfall and then give some advice. But I think that one of the things that we, you know, we're trying to be really cognizant of is this idea of doing your research and, and trying to present it in a way that, that is true to the own, the system that we've set up, this idea of like looking at the information, um, looking at different sources to find that out, to see whether it's true before presenting it. Because as soon as you become a teacher or you have a podcast, there's a certain responsibility that you have because people may treat you as an authority and they may treat you as somebody who has the knowledge. Um, you know, for those of us that have had kids, it's like when you have a kid who's like, two years old, if you hold up a phone and say, that's a couch, they're going to think it's a couch because they're going to believe everything that you tell them because you're the parent, right? They don't have any basis to, to know what's true and what's not. So I think that there's really a responsibility when you set out to be a teacher, obviously, but even in this age of science communication where information is spread so quickly through the internet, through social media, that that you do do your homework, that you do do your research in a way that you are presenting information that is most probably true because you have that responsibility. And so I think, you know, Josh and I have heard other other kids' podcasts, which we won't name, um, that really f- play fast and loose with real history and real science Mm. and present themselves as being true of what happened to this person who is a real historical figure. Um, and that that is just not okay. I mean, that, that, that's setting up a potential generation of, of kids who are believing something that's probably not true. So I think that that's a pitfall is just, you know, really making sure that the story doesn't become more important than the science or the history or the facts mm-hmm. because that that's the important part. And then make the story serve that and not the other way around. Um, and I think that that's, that's kind of the pitfall. And, but and, just and, to and, jump in for a sec. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I please. Mean, the way that you guys, I think, you know, did it with Shabam with the layering, you know, you were able to have one story that you could just tell however you wanted to that everyone mm-hmm. knew was fiction. And then you could make that story work for what you wanted to accomplish. And then you just sort of embedded within that these, you know, other sort of storytelling events where then you held yourself to that standard of this has to really reflect the science. But, you know, obviously the zombie apocalypse part that wasn't actually like a real life thing that happened and everybody knew that. Right. And so there's a sort of blending of like, okay, you know, here, this is the realm where it's the fiction, where it's the imagination, where we're telling this story that has, where the point is the story. And then within that you have the, the science embedded and the, you know, sort of mini stories that then have to be, you know, held to this, um, this higher this high standard, right, of, well, of being true. Well, we go out of our way to make sure that people know this is the fiction part, right? Like yeah. we say, okay, this is not, you know, if, yeah, this yeah, were real, exactly. if this were real, blah, 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 right? Right. Whereas I think in if, you, if, you're creating, if you're telling a historical story and you're, like Wendy said, playing fast and loose with the actual facts, first of all, I think it's a missed opportunity because you're like, 
just find out what the dude did and then and then right. try to work with that. Don't don't try and, you know, make up your own stuff because why do that? Yeah. Right? Like then 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 it muddies the waters. Then people are like, Well, did he actually do that? Did did Ben Franklin did he have like, you know, you don't know anything about that. The that's a missed opportunity to, you know, yeah. put some information in there. Right. Um but uh and Wendy, were you trying to say another point? Because yeah. I, I don't wanna I don't wanna step on you, but I was just gonna I just want to jump yeah, in. Yeah, no, no, no. Keep going, Josh. Keep going. So the but the 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 one advice that I would have is like if you're gonna like create a concept or or explain a concept, I think you know, obviously you have to start off in broad strokes and then when you explain that and people know that there's like different levels of of uh complexity that you can explain, right? And I would say what I think we try to do is even on the simplest level, make that explanation compatible with the next level of complexity so that when you start delving down and down and down, what you learned in the beginning helps you understand the other stuff. So like an example of a bad idea would be like I saw I saw somebody it was this like explanation of like how a battery works and they're, they're talking about the cations and the anions and they used cats for the cations and like dogs for the anions. And it's like, I don't like, I get that. Like you, it sounds like cat and you do using the cats, but like, how does that help me understand where these ions want to go, where these charged particles want to go? It right. doesn't, it doesn't help me. Right. So, it doesn't map on to the abstract principles in any way. Exactly. It doesn't. Ma- <laughs> yes, it does. That's that's right. It doesn't map on to the to the to the more complex version of of what's going on in a battery. Whereas if we, you know, you talk about cops and uh, then there's these groups of cells and these groups of cells and these groups of cells. We didn't say there's one cell that does that and there's one cell that does that. We said there's groups of cells so that when you learn about the immune system, you find it. Oh, well. There's neutrophils and then there's, you know, macrophages and there's, you know, there's all different kinds, but they're part of the same group. Like we try to, mm-hmm. we try to make our explanations uh, consistent so that they, they help kind of scaffold, you know, the, the, the learning when you like yeah. learn more intricate stuff. And I would say like, if you're going to explain something and you want to figure out, okay, how am I going to uh, explain this concept if your your simple explanation has to uh, be consistent or map onto the more complex, you know, explanation. Because right. then, and, and you can just do that verbally sometimes too. Like instead of saying, you know, this one, you say this group or like it's something like this or there's a lot of stuff going on here, which we're not going to get into. But, you know, essentially blah, blah, blah is going on, right? And then right. all that stuff that you said when you find out about it later, that's all the stuff that went on in there. That's that's the That's the more complex stuff. Like you know, electron orbitals, right? In reality, the mathematics, you look at it, they're like weird. They're like these weird orbitals. Like I never, you know, I didn't know this, but like all we see is kind of the 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 orbiting, you know, model, which right. is like, that's not really compatible. Whereas if you say, look, the electrons, they have this electron cloud, which is like they're buzzing around. You don't exactly know where they are. They're most probably going to be in a certain place. We're not going to get into that. But anyway, just they're there. Yeah. And then you keep going. I think that works better, right? Because mm-hmm. then you're like, Oh, I, I get it. And then later when you see the actual orbitals, you're like, oh, that's actually, that's, it still works with probabilities, but it's, it's not the way I thought it looked. Right. 
but you can you can build onto what you already know. I think that's that would be my my main advice. Yeah, so it's almost like if you're going to explain something at one level, like you have to understand it at a deep enough level to know that the explanation you're giving is consistent with that deeper understanding. Too. Yes, and yeah. that is why we talk to experts because we don't know the deeper understanding and we talk to experts and then we say, okay, is this kind of what's going on? And then they say, yeah, that's what's going on. So that's how we come up with our with our analogies, right? Like, or, you know, what, what we're saying, because we, we talk to the, I mean, that's the fun thing about the job is you get to talk to people who are, who have really deep knowledge about things, you know, a certain topic that you didn't know anything about. Right. And so you can talk to them and you can say, I didn't know about mole rats. Like I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. Wendy, was there something that you wanted to add also about, um, you know, tips and ideas for science communication and sort of using stories as as part of science communication? I mean, I think it's just kind of like a general PSA, just coming from a filmmaking background of figure out how to tell a good story because there's nothing more painful than a bad story. Mm. <laughs> like we, you know, we, we, we hear them all the time. We're like, it's like, you know, yeah, so I was trying to get on the train and then I missed it. Okay, that's not a story. Like yeah. you know, like that—that's that, not a story. Like we we need a story. So, um, so, so for for me, it's just kind of like you know my my personal like passion to enable people to understand the basics of storytelling, like the idea of conflict, the idea of resolution, the idea of progressions, uh, and having a character that has a need that they're trying to to get and things that are standing in that way, the way of that character getting it. And so, like you know, th- there's. There's lots of books written on these things, but just that idea of like, you know, ha- having a story that that is easy to follow, because if you're going to use it as a tool and it's not a good story, it's going to be completely ineffective. So that that's a huge part of it is how, how do you give give the audience what they want in terms of the basic storytelling, but then attach this this greater learning point or this meaning so that it sinks in and, and actually has them ingest and and um, digest the information. Mm-hmm. And and that's not incompatible with, you know, a lot of scientific explanations, right? Because, like, ions want to do things, right? They want, you know, atoms want to be neutral, right? Like, you know, positive negatives want, you know, are yeah. attracted. They want to be, you know, like, there's there's ways of describing it that that you can plug that into a story and create a story. Like, when Wendy says a good story, you know, it doesn't always... It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a scientist's personal story, right? Like, those are cool, but, like, that's not the only thing, right? You can talk about bugs and bacteria and fungus and oceans and planets and, you know, like, the same sort of thing, right? Like, And there's a lot of systems and a lot of things in science where there is some sort of tension, right? And so if you can Mm -hmm. find that and find a way of talking about that tension in a compelling way. I mean, there may be a whole lot of opportunities for bringing these storytelling ideas into teaching about science that aren't yet really being realized because people totally. aren't pulling in these these sort of tools and tricks from storytelling in order to engage the brains of learners better. Cuz I, mm-hmm. I think you got to get out of that those they're like they're like explanatory ruts, right? And like when when people hear certain phrases that have been used over and over and over again, it's like the meaning of the phrase you lose that, and you it loses its explanatory power because it becomes a a thing, and you you forget you know. Mm. 
natural yeah. selection. Okay, there's the natural selection, natural, natural selection. But like, when you break it down, you're like, no, they're getting selected for naturally, right? Like the the organisms that are more, you know, uh, that have an adaptation that is more beneficial, those are getting selected for in a natural way, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, now I, you know. Right. Th- this phrase "natural selection," which, like, at a certain point, becomes kind of like, moo, moo, moo. You yeah, know, like you just want, right, don't want right. to lose the. Yeah, well, all of these concepts, right? Like the very abstract concepts, we sort of, you know, we'll get into this place where we think we know what they mean, oftentimes, um, and you hear them enough, and you think you know what they mean, right. but if you actually try to, you know, break down, like, no, actually, what what do they mean, oftentimes. You know, people can have a hard time describing it, even though they they think they know. Right. So, I I mean, I love this idea of you know how do you make it more concrete? How do you give it a voice? How do you find where the conflict is? How do you find the the beginning, middle, and end? You know, to create something that will engage our brains more, and um, you know, hopefully give people more tools and kids next generation. I hope more tools for really telling fact from fiction in the world and and being able to, you know, use fiction in the right way and uh, use facts in the right way, too. So Yes. And also see that there's awesome stuff out there that, like, we don't know about. Like, there's so much cool stuff going on. Like, yeah, I, 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 I can't stress that enough. Like it for and Wendy, I you know, I'm sure she feels the same way. We've talked about this. Like, we just love finding out about stuff we don't know. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you you get to you get to it's like this opening this new, whole new world of like, oh that's how that works that's why it's like that, that's you know yeah. those are the mechanisms like and that's because we get to talk to scientists who, you know tell us cool stuff like it sounds you. like uh, we have something really in common here because I love brains too, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah I and I just want to kind of like just even like emphasize that even more because like Josh and I, we don't really know that much stuff. Like really, we're not (laughs) scientists, uh, you know, in in the traditional sense, but that's kind of what we're trying to get at with the show is that anybody can be a scientist. Science is all around us. And if you know the kinds of questions to ask and the different processes to go through, you can be a science too, because scientist too, because science is something that we need all the time. And so for me and Josh, like, most of the stuff we talk about, we don't know. It's it's a the the most thrilling part of making Shabam was the discovery element. It was it was learning these things that we didn't know before, and then finding a way to retell them at the age level that we were targeting, and in a way that we thought was fun and interesting and would sink in for people. So that that's a huge part of it like it, it's just that curiosity and that that desire to to know more you know and I think that that's you know we're always trying to take a step back and look at what we're working on and I think you know there's some themes that come up over and over again but that idea of exploration and discovery is just a huge huge one for us and I think it's like innately human and I think that if if we can we can bring that passion of discovery into what we're doing it it we hope is infectious in a zombie-like way to other people and uh you know that they also become infected with that curiosity and want to ask more and want to learn more too 
That is so awesome. Thank you, Wendy. <laughs> Thank you, Josh, for no sharing problem. your brains with us. Yeah. <laughs> this was so amazing. And um, remind everyone where, where they can find Shabam. You can go to shabamshow.com. Uh, and that's S-H-A-B, as in boy, A-M, show.com. Awesome. And then we're also on uh, iTunes and Stitcher and... All that stuff. All that stuff. Yeah, you and we actually we we kind of it's a little pre pre announcement, but we're um we're actually about to embark on a partnership with uh, the um, Roddenberry Group, as in Star Trek, and they are going to be putting Shabam out on their networks. So that's gonna I think was it August, Josh? Is that yeah, when we're that's, targeting that's the, now. That's the target is August. Yeah, so, so we'll have a little announcement. We're relaunching season one um, on their platform, which we're we're super excited about. They're they're just such incredible people, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be associated with Star Trek and Ronberry. Um, so it's that's that's going to be coming up too. So that's, awesome. that's kind of exciting in our future. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you guys so much. No problem. And thank you. It was it was amazing having you here. Just thanks <laughs> thanks for talking to us. <laughs> thank it was you great. For yeah. Being, have enough. <laughs> and if the whole world says that we're crazy, we don't need nobody anyhow. But if you don't want to fall in love, you better tell me right now. And if the whole world says that we're crazy, Zombified is a production of Arizona State University and the Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Alliance. And we would like to thank everyone who helps make Zombified possible, including the psychology department at Arizona State University. Which is not filled with zombies. Uh, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) The Interdisciplinary Cooperation Initiative and the President's Office at ASU. The Lincoln Center for Applied Ethics of zombies and the zombie apocalypse and zombie apocalypse related science communication podcasts. That's right. And helping zombies through the apocalypse. Oh, right. <laughs> and, uh, everyone who made this episode possible, right? <laughs> <laughs> All the brains that help make this podcast. Uh, like including Tal Ram who mixes everything. And Neil Smith, who does the illustrations for every podcast. And Lemmy, who does the song, Psychological. Yeah, which I've been zombified by. I love that song. It's a good song. And our Z team. All of the undergraduates and graduate students and 
researchers and staff and everybody who helps to make Zombified happen and transcribe our episodes. You guys are amazing and we could not do it without you. Thank you so much. Now, are they zombies? Uh, I don't think so. But <laughs> I'm not positive. So <laughs> uh, if you want to become a zombified zombie, um, you can follow us and support us. Uh, on social media and on Patreon and, um, and buy our merch too. We've got, um, zombified t-shirts and we have t-shirts for everything in, um, the channel Z world too. So if you are a fan of our live stream on channel Z, um, you can find t-shirts and mugs and everything, um, based on any of your shows that, that are your favorites. So, so you could have one, like, so every time you're watching an episode, you could have the matching mug. Exactly. So, awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's all on T Public, um, and we're Zam Apocalypse in T Public. So if you just look up Zam Apocalypse, then you'll find all of our stuff. Cool. Uh, yeah. And you can check out those shows at channelz.org. And yeah, yeah. So that's our whole that's our live stream video thing. So if you want to like have a live experience with me and Dave and the other hosts of our shows. Um, you can get on there and see what we're doing in real time and even post your comments and questions as the shows are going. So, um, yeah, so it's nice if you're stuck at your computer and you want to get like de a little bit to tune into <laughs> one of our shows. That's right. <laughs> so, and you can post comments and things. And so, yeah, it's, it's super interactive. Fun. Yeah. It's so, really fun. Um, well, cool. Anything else? And do we forget anybody? I think I think we've got everybody except our listeners. Mm. Thank you to all of you for sharing your brains with us by listening. And we're really grateful for all of you to, you know, be a part of our community. So thank you all for listening to Zombified, <laughs> your source for fresh brains. It's crazy, but it seems so logical. I can't deny that there is something supernatural with you. Makes me act the way I do.